You're listening to the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. I'm your host, Arden Cartret. This space is meant to be a tool for you to feel less alone and to learn more about how to get through what you've been through and what you're probably going through. We'll hear diverse stories from women and men in the online space, experts, and people just like you and me who are feeling the effects of miscarriage and loss in real time. This is the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. You're listening to episode number 11 of the Miscarriage Doula Podcast. Thank you for joining me for another episode. Yet again, I'm here to tell you that that this is a great episode. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. Today's guest is Shara Hutchinson, and she is the author of a book called I Still Want to Be a Mom. And she sent me her book a few years ago. It was after my second miscarriage, I believe. And I remember being so afraid to read fertility books, but her book really was just a a testament to the perseverance that, you know, happens whenever we go through infertility, whenever we go through multiple miscarriages. Um, I really loved learning about her story in the book, and we talk a lot about that. We talk about her experience with atopic pregnancy, what IVF was like for her, and it's just really an open conversation about infertility and loss, and she's really just the sweetest human. I can't recommend her book enough. I can't recommend you know, just listening to her. So I hope that you will enjoy this episode and I don't have any sponsor or anything for today's episode. I do hope that you'll go run and get, I still want to be a mom. I'll put a link in the show description. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can go to the miscarriagedoula.co slash support. That's where you'll find a bunch of affiliate links and promo codes. And I hope that you Please believe me whenever I say I don't put just anything on that page. Those are all things that I use and trust and recommend, rather I get a commission or not. And I really appreciate you supporting the show. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps others find the show whenever they need it. And um, so far, the feedback I've gotten from the episodes is all really positive, And I'm glad that you guys are enjoying the show. So without further ado, we will get into episode number 11. Whenever I first thought about turning this into a podcast, you were one of the first people I thought of because I literally recommend your book to everybody. Like mine is almost falling apart because I use it whenever I talk to people about infertility and loss. So it means a lot that you're here. Um, You gifted me your book had to be like two and a half years ago now. Like it's been a while. I remember it was after my second miscarriage and I remember being afraid to read it because I thought, well, what if it has, you know, mention of loss and it's triggering. And, um, I remember I picked it up and I read the entire thing in like two days and I loved the message of despite everything, like all of the crap that gets in the way, like you still wanted to be a mom. And it kind of answered the question of why am I putting myself through this? Mm-hmm. And so I just loved how powerful I still want to be a mom is. So again, I can't thank you enough for being here. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. And of course, being, you know, sisters, you know, through infertility and and both of us going through losses, even though uh, each of our journeys was a little bit different. It's awesome to hear how uh, the book has and, you know, inspired you and encouraged you because it was written out of, out of my own experience. And one of the reasons why I decided to, to write the book is going through an eight year journey to, to have a baby and getting disappointed every month and getting let down and having losses. I didn't have very many people around me who understood what I was going through or knew the right words to say, or could identify with my situation. And I thought to myself, there are so many other women out there going to the same thing. What can I do to, you know, be that, I guess, sidekick with them in the event that they don't have anybody who, um, who can encourage them and, and speak to them and who understands what they went through? Yeah, no, I love that. Um, whenever I've described your book, I describe it as like a guide slash journal slash resource, like it fits all of the criteria. So it's literally the perfect book. Um, and I wish... I wish that I could like give it to everybody who's in the middle of their infertility journey because some of the prompts and stuff, I'm very type A. So Mm -hmm. I wrote mine on post-its and left it on the pages. That way I could go back and like always do it again. Um, But it's just always, it's so helpful for it to be both book and journal in that type of way with the prompts. So I think that that was a really, a great addition and something that's not really found in the infertility community. Yeah, I, as I was writing it, I was thinking, and I'm so glad you see it the way that it was written. It was meant to be a guide to take someone from wherever they are in their infertility journey to hopefully, you know, being a a mom based on whatever their definition is, um, and encouraging them along the way. And so, covering things like that, I went through like. What do you even ask the doctor? You know, can you advocate for yourself? You know, um, what happens and how do you handle the the triggering thoughts? You know, like we hear a lot about the triggers, but we don't always hear in this, you know, the in the infertility community about how do you handle those triggers? Because you still have to go about your daily life, you know, and, and some of us work and some of us have other responsibilities and, you know, we can't allow infertility to paralyze us. And so I went through situations where I I was triggered and I was like, okay, how do I deal with this? And then I learned to counteract those thoughts with different thoughts. And I was like, I want to share some of that um, yeah. in the book um, and, and, and made it about like, even physically, what, what can you do to help increase your chances and being realistic about, Hey, you you're not in control. So even though we can read all these articles that say eat pineapple core and eat McDonald's fries and, you know, um, lose 30 pounds and whatever it is, you can do all that and still have a failed uh, attempt with IVF or IUI or natural method, whatever you're doing, you can be doing all the quote unquote right things and get a result other than what you were expecting. And so I wanted to be realistic in that aspect too, and take somebody to say, even in the beginning to define, what does it mean to be a mom? You know, if you haven't determined what a mom means to you, then in my opinion, you may not know how far you're willing to go on that journey. And those were real questions I had to ask myself, especially after our second trimester loss was like, okay, what does it mean to be a mom? You know, am I okay with adopting? Am I okay with donor embryos? Am I okay with the surrogate? You know, like I had to face those really tough questions. Um, And I did end up having a child, you know, biologically, but 
facing those questions helped me to determine how far I was willing to go. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I want a biological child. And if that doesn't happen, you have to, you know, process those emotions accordingly. But if your definition doesn't include biology, then you can explore other methods. Yeah, no, that's an interesting, um, I mean, that's a really helpful thing to talk about. Um, My husband and I talked about that after our second loss, because even though we didn't do IVF, I kept thinking like, I can't go through this anymore. It was so traumatic and I didn't want to go through any more trauma. And like you mentioned in your book, like it costs money to go through all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And whenever you don't have that money, then you start to worry like, well, what if I do get pregnant and I don't have the money to even get pregnant? You know, what are you going to do? And so we had those conversations to where motherhood to me didn't necessarily mean a biological child, but to my husband, it did. And so that also created where I had to kind of include him. And even though I wanted to be a mom and was okay with what that looked like, him picturing himself as a dad was also different. And so it's, it's interesting how infertility really affects both parties. I also had a talk with a same sex couple earlier where their versions of being a mom were very different. And so Mm -hmm. I, I found that you know, to be kind of comforting that even, you know, in a heterosexual and a same sex couple that it was still the same, like back and forth and tug and pull, I guess. Yeah. When you're in a relationship with someone, you know, you need to be, you know, on the same page. And, you know, even in my book, I talk about how, you know, there was a season where my husband said he didn't want to have a child. Now he said he did in the beginning and then he changed up. And later I found out that it was because he was afraid after having several losses and and failed cycles and going through, you know, IVF multiple times, I think he had began to feel like, you know, well, maybe I can protect her, you know, and protect myself. Uh, if I just say, you know what, maybe I don't want any children. And so we were able to have a candid conversation. And in fact, his, his father wasn't around, you know, when he was growing up. And so another fear was that he didn't know if he was going to be able to be a good dad. And so I actually have a chapter in there about, um, don't forget that he will be a dad because it was all about me at first. And then one day I caught him like in the bathroom crying, you know, like, and he walked out and tried to, you know, pull himself together. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's, he's going through this too. Like sometimes you don't realize that. And at that moment, I understood that he had emotions, that he had feelings, that he lost the baby too, you know, that, that he wanted to be a dad, that he was scared, that he was, you know, unsure, that he was uncertain. And at that moment, I, I pivoted my mindset to be supportive of him as well, even though I was also hurting. And I I can honestly say it drew us so much closer together um, than it did apart. And we, we were definitely stronger after this, you know, uh, journey than we were before. And so I I love that you mentioned that, that it's so, so important to understand that when you're in a relationship, the other person uh, has feelings and they're in it with you. And, and guess what? They may feel different ways at different times. You know, we were, my husband and I were in a, a value city furniture store one day and, um, a lady walked in and she was probably about seven or eight months pregnant. And I looked at her and it was shortly after my second trimester loss. And I just busted out into tears. Like, I can't even see her. That should be me, you know? And he didn't feel that way at that moment, right? Like I was in shambles and he was, you know, he had was processing it a different way. And he just helped me like, it's going to be okay. You know, he understood what I was going through, um, but he 
was not experiencing that same, you know, set of emotions that I was. And so it's okay if the other person is not frantic at the moment that you're frantic or they're not crying when you're crying, you know, they may cry in their own time or they may uh, process their grief or their feelings or emotions a little differently. And it doesn't mean they don't care. Some people get angry, you know, and they have to learn how to process through that. And so just being understanding and giving people space to um, express themselves in the way that is uh, best for them. I think that's really great. And I honestly could use that. Uh, I need to keep that in mind, even like in real time grief, because even whenever you have children in your arms, you still feel the grief of your journey. And that has been, you know, like life after that stuff, you know, it's been Mm -hmm. challenging because I still grieve the losses that we had, but I'm still really happy for what we currently have. And it's a weird place when he's just, he's more, he's more focused on the present Mm -hmm. instead of focusing on the past. And I'm like, that must be really nice. I wish I could forget all about the past, (laughs) but you know, it also, it made me who I am. And so, like you said, it's two different journeys that you kind of have to mend together and Mm -hmm learn how to take it together too. Yeah. And, and it actually having a wide angle view from both perspectives is actually good because if one person gets pulled too far in one direction, they can be, you know, off on a tangent somewhere or have a breakdown, you know? And so like, if, if one of the the parties is more, you know, emotional and more focusing on like, you know, even though I'm grateful for what I have, thinking about more what, what they lost then you know, the person who's more in the present moment can, can remind you like, hey, let's not lose these precious moments focusing on yesterday. And then the yeah. person who is living in the moment, you know, um, the other person who may remember more, more so what happened in the past can say, let's not forget that, you know, we did lose another, you know, we lost a child or that, you know, what it took to get here. Let's not take it for granted. And so I think both views are necessary. Um, if you have somebody who's, who's different than who thinks differently than you or feels differently than you about a situation, it, you know, it can, it can be leveraged to your advantage. Well, and with your, um, like your great stance on the mindset there, I'm curious of what you and your husband do with, um, a question that I get a lot is how I answer the question, how many children I have. And some people will say that they have two in heaven while they have one in their arms. Some people will say, like in my case with the two losses and one, I would have three. Um, some people just, you know, mention the one here. Has that ever been something that the two of you don't answer the same? Um, I, we answer it the same. Um, and I, I believe it's a very personal experience for me. I say one. Um, and I, I say one because I don't feel like at times going through the whole like, well, we had two miscarriages and, you know, an ectopic and, you know, and so, and and then, I mean, if, if I want to get really granular, I can say, well, all the embryos that I had, you know, those were, those were babies, you know? And so to me, and I have five frozen. So technically I have, you know, <laughs> however many kids out there. And so I just don't get into all of that unless, unless I'm in a more in-depth conversation with somebody. So maybe it's situational because depending on who I'm talking to, I may answer it differently, but someone who does not know me and who just asks me off the cuff, I'll just say I have one. So just to prevent me having to get into a, a deep discussion and my husband right. does the same thing. And, and we both will, you know, delve a little deeper with certain individuals and say like, well, we have, you know, 
talk about the other, you know, the, the losses that we've had and things. And so um, I think it's a very personal decision and, and neither way is wrong. It's just how a person processes what, you know, processes their situation. Yeah. No, I've always asked like what I recommend people answer that. And I kind of say the same thing where for me, it's situational. Um, although like depends on the day too, if you're having a really down day and somebody asks you, you kind of go into it and you don't even mean to, but, um, it definitely depends on the situation. So I think that that's a great way to put it too. It also, I would, if I had embryos, I would not know how to answer it. If I were to answer all of them, because that would be so many, you know, it's, that's a lot of children. And then you have to explain that not all of them are defrosted. That gets a little crazy. Yeah. And, and technically, you know, throughout the IVF cycles that I had, you know, I transferred the first time two and they were embryos and um, it was like a chemical pregnancy the first time. So technically I lost both of those, you know, they were, they were, you know, babies at that point. Some people define babies as different, but I define it as like the the sperm met the egg and they were joined and started to grow and develop. It is a, it is a little human to me, you know? And so um, I just, I don't really get that granular into it um, just for that reason. Yeah. Um, I would love, because I know your story is so big and I know that it would take you, like, it would be a lot of time and energy to unpack all of it, but I would love um, if you wouldn't mind talking about your atopic experience and with your fallopian tubes, um, losing them after the atopic, because I think that atopic pregnancies are things that people feel there isn't enough information around, or they feel really alone whenever they're going through it. And I know with the people I've talked to on this show, it's been really limited on the people I've talked to that share their atopic pregnancy experience. And so I think that your story and going on doing IVF, and I even bookmarked a part in your book, because I really liked that you said, um, trying to look for positive in every situation after having my atopic and getting both of my fallopian tubes removed, I was a little upset that I would never be able to get pregnant naturally. Instead of focusing on that, I realized the bright side was that I still had my uterus and ovaries so I could still get pregnant. I would just need intervention. And I think that that's really, um, I think it really says something about your mindset that you could focus on the positive that you couldn't get pregnant naturally, but you could still get pregnant in some way. And so um, if you wouldn't mind sharing your ectopic pregnancy experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you asked me to talk about the ectopic because most people want me to talk about my second trimester loss. And so it's good to shed light on, um, like you said, ectopics are not really discussed as much. Um, and so we, we experienced an ectopic pregnancy after we did our first round of IVF. Um, and then we did a frozen cycle. And after that, we had no embryos and no money (laughs) and we were back to ground zero and we were in the process of trying to figure out, okay. And again, like I still wanted to be a mom. So I'm like, okay, we lost, you know, we, we had this failed IVF cycle and this failed frozen embryo transfer. And now we're at square one. Am I still going to get to have a baby? And I was like, I still want to be a mom. So we were like, well, we'll wait and we'll just, you know, gather our thoughts figure out a plan um, for how we would do another round of IVF. Because at that time I knew that my tubes were blocked 
um, and I was told that I wouldn't be able to get pregnant naturally. And so I was okay with that, that, okay, my tubes are blocked. I won't get pregnant naturally. And so we, we waited and, and probably about, so we, in De- it was December, uh, I think 2015, when we had uh, our failed frozen embryo transfer, that following um, August, August 1st, actually, of 2016, I was at home literally. And I was doing some homework. I was working on uh, my degree uh, at the time. And I am like just sitting there and I heard in my head, like, go get a pregnancy test. And I was thinking to myself, why do I feel the premonition to go get a pregnancy test? I can't get pregnant naturally. I, you know, my tubes are blocked and, you know, that's just what it is. We've had two failed transfers and, and, but it was loud enough to me that I was like, okay, I need to do it. I got up from my seat. I drove to the family dollar around the corner and got a pregnancy test. And I came back and peed on the stick. And I was like, ah! I mean, literally like instantly both the lines showed up. And that was the first time um, in our marriage that I had seen like two lines. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I was screaming. I, I, called my mom instantly. I sent her a picture. Um, and then she just like told the world. Um, and so in my mind, I felt like this is my miracle. Like I like, wait a minute, I had two failed transfers only to get pregnant naturally. So my, just the excitement was just over the top. And, um, at the same time, my sister-in-law, uh, had just found out she was pregnant and she had her appointment scheduled to get her ultrasound. And so, of course, I told her, like, we are going to be pregnant together. How cool is that? You know, and so we were just exciting, excited and celebrating together. And um, I, I called, you know, of course, my doctor and they scheduled an appointment. They were like, we want to get you in sooner because with your history with your block tubes, we just want to make sure everything's fine. Um, and so she went for her appointment and she got, came back and there was a heartbeat. And so she sent me a picture of the ultrasound. And I was like, yay, my, you know, my appointment's coming up in a couple of days and went to my appointment. And I, I get there and, you know, my doctor begins to do the ultrasound and she moves a little wand or Wanda, as we call it, right? Like to each side. And she's doing that for a little while. And I'm thinking, why is she like not locating the baby like right away? But I'm like, I had two lines, so I know everything's fine. And so finally she moves it around and then she sees uh, this little tadpole <laughs> um, <laughs> with a flickering heartbeat just right there. Like, and, and I was just like, oh my, and I was just like, smile. I wasn't even looking at her. I was looking at the screen, like there's a baby and you can see the thump. And so my husband and my mom were both in there in the room with me and we were all smiling. And then we look back at the doctor's face and she wasn't smiling. And I'm thinking, why is she not smiling? Like I am, you know, she knows what I've been going through. And she said, you know, there's a perfectly formed baby, you know, like in your, you know, growing, but it is not in your uterus and the baby is in your tubes. And therefore, you know, and I, and she said, you know, you're measuring, I think it was like seven and a half weeks at that point. So she was asking me like, how are you not in pain? Did you not, you know, like, did you feel anything? And I was like, no, I had no idea that I was even pregnant. I was just sitting there and felt like I needed to get a pregnancy test. Uh, And instantly when she said um, that we would have to terminate, of course, because there was no way that the baby could grow in my tubes, it would rupture and, you know, could ultimately, you know, cause a fatality, you know, and so my husband instantly started, like he burst out crying, and when he started crying, my mom 
was tearing up. And so she was consoling him. And I was just sitting there like, I could, I was in shock. I didn't even shed a tear. And I was, I'm a planner. I'm type A as well. So I'm always thinking about the future and thinking ahead. So I was like, well, can we just move the baby? Like logically, I felt like, well, if the baby is healthy and there's a heartbeat, why can't you just move it from my tubes to my uterus? And she was like, no, we can't do that because the baby, you know, attaches to um, wherever it attaches and the placenta grows there. And she was explaining all the medical jargon to me. And I'm like, oh, so this is really, um, this is really happening. Like I, I, my, my miracle is gone before I even got to hold it, you know? And so I was, I was devastated and she's like, well, and because, you know, you're so far along and everything, we, we don't want to give you meth, methotrexate, I think it's called. Um, she was like, tomorrow you need to have surgery. So it's like, I go to my appointment thinking I'm going to leave with an ultrasound, but instead I leave with an appointment for the next day to have surgery to remove my baby, you know, and one of my tubes. And when I get to, you know, the appointment the next day to have the surgery, she asked me, she said, you know, do you want me to just take out both your tubes since both of them were, were blocked? And I had a decision to make. Um, and I asked her, you know, what are, what are the rest? She said, well, being that both of them were blocked, it is possible that if you get pregnant again, it can get, you know, caught in your tubes again. And so I'm pretty rational. And I, even, even when I'm emotional, I can process through information in a way that helps me to make what I believe is the best decision. And so I said, if there's a chance that I can have another ectopic pregnancy, I don't want to go through this again. If both my tubes are blocked, just take them both out. Um, so I go under the anesthesia, have the procedure, they remove both tubes, they remove the baby and I wake up and she tells me, you know, everything's fine. You know, we, we took out both your tubes. And I think at that moment I had a realization that, wait a minute, me telling them to take out both my tubes means that I cannot, I will never, you know, like not just like temporarily, but never be able to get pregnant naturally. And I think that set in. And as it started to set in, then I started to feel like I was losing a little hope. Like, you know, like our Mm -hmm. thoughts are so powerful. Um, When you dwell on something, it can shift your whole day, your whole mood. And so I was like on a downward spiral and I noticed it and I was like, wait a minute, I can never have kids naturally, but can I still get pregnant? And I'm like, yeah, I can still get pregnant. I still have a uterus. You know, (laughs) and, And then I was like, And then guess what? Like now I know that I can get pregnant because, you know, many of us who are going through, um, you know, a journey with infertility, sometimes never seeing a positive pregnancy test is almost as devastating as having a loss because then it's like, can I even get pregnant? You know, like, is it even possible for me? I was talking to a lady a few weeks back who 20 years trying to have a baby and she's 42 now having her first baby, but never seeing a positive wow. pregnancy test for 20 years. Like, but like the mint, like, can it happen? So when I thought about, you know, from that perspective, I said, well, I can get pregnant. I will need intervention, um, but it's possible. And even the very small, incy, incy, wincy, you know, bit of hope, um, if I can find it, I will hold on to that. And so that's what I chose to do because again, I still wanted to be a mom and I'm like, well, if I still want to have a child naturally and there is a way out there and I'm okay emotionally to continue, then 
why not continue? And that is when I pivoted and began to just think about, you know, the fact that I could have a child um, with, you know, intervention from a doctor, thinking about the fact that, wait a minute, I can get pregnant. So this is a good sign that my uterus uh, will accept a baby, you know, or, or what, what have you. And, um, and that I had my husband there who was very, very supportive. And then at that moment, I realized like, okay, he wants a child, you know, because during that time when we had the, after we had the failed IVF cycle and the failed frozen, he had started to kind of say he didn't, he, he didn't know he was kind of on the fence, but later again, I found out because it was, he was afraid. Um, but when I saw how he reacted um, in that doctor's office, when they announced that, you know, there was no way we could um, save the baby and that we had to, you know, um, uh, terminate the pregnancy along with, you know, removing my tubes and the way he burst out into tears. I knew that he was 110% on board. And that even was a driver for me too. like, he really wants to be a dad. Like, I want to do what I can to make that happen. Yeah. No, I think that that, um, thank you for sharing that story, because I don't, I just don't feel like I hear um, a lot of people so openly share a topic pregnancy. And I think that there's a lot, there's a lot that surrounds it, you know, um, like the ASRM and how they define recurrent pregnancy loss. And they don't include a topic pregnancy, which I could go on all day. Really? I didn't know that. They don't Hmm. include a topic pregnancy or chemical pregnancies, which is something it's a topic that I could get really heated about because it's a little ridiculous. Um, And I think that some of that language, you know, where doctors really follow those guidelines, um, I've heard of women being told that their topic doesn't count as a loss and, and things like that. So I think that that kind of makes women not share it. And then having language Mm -hmm. like terminating the pregnancy puts also a lot of shame just because of like social things. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really powerful to share how devastating Anatopic pregnancy can be because ultimately it is having to terminate a wanted pregnancy. And, and that's one of the hardest things I can't even imagine. Yeah. And a, and a, a, a live, you know, baby with a heartbeat. And so to see a perfectly growing baby with a heartbeat and, and all that growing in the wrong place and there's nothing you can do, you know, um, that, you know, it was, it was devastating to know that, okay, in just one day, you know, that heartbeat will stop, you know, so, and there's nothing that I can do about it at all. I loved your logical thinking of, okay, so can we just move the baby? (laughs) I asked her that and she started laughing like, oh my God, like she literally, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, why not? Just like, move it, put the baby in the uterus. It'll be fine. I wish. If somebody figured out how to do that, it would be like revolutionary. They would (laughs) <laughs> they would be so rich from that idea of just yeah. figuring out how to do it. That's so funny. Um, with the topic pregnancy, did you have any fears moving forward? Like you said that you felt comfort in the fact that you could get pregnant. And I agree with you on that after my first loss. Um, I know a lot of people I saw on like letter boards on Instagram where people were saying that, you know, they didn't like the phrase, at least you can get pregnant, or at least, you know, you can get pregnant. But I found comfort in that in my personal mm-hmm. journey. Um, did the pregnancy going to the fallopian tubes instead of the uterus ever worry you that like, um, I don't know the right way of, of how I'm trying to say it. Of About going like a future pregnancy? Getting, 
Yeah. No, nope. I never, like after the ectopic, honestly, because I had both of my tubes removed, I felt like, and again, I'm pretty logical and I analyze things and I was like, so if the factor was that my tubes and now that both of them are removed, there's no way that anything else can stop me. And then, and then I even justified in my mind because something that comforts us is to justify things. And so I was like, that's probably, probably why my um, first two transfers failed. You know, I was thinking that it was my twos because I had read an article and talked to several other women who said that if, you know, if you have um, fluid in your tube, sometimes they can't see it on an ultrasound. And if you get pregnant, what will happen is the, um, the fluid from the tubes can go into your, your uterus and wash the embryos off and prevent them from implanting or cause you to miscarry. And I felt like, okay, if both of my tubes were that damaged, they probably had fluid in them that we couldn't see from the ultrasound. And it caused, you know, the embryos that we transferred to just not be able to stick because that fluid is, is toxic. And so I would recommend like if somebody has been told that they have um, blocked tubes and they have failed cycles, it may be good for them to do a, um, like a laparoscopy where they go in and look to see if there's fluid, you know, in those tubes, because that could, you know, prevent implantation. And I'm no doctor, but this is the things that I, I read, you know, and talking to other women and in my personal experience, that's what it seemed like happened. And it was, you know, and I even asked my doctor, like, is that possible? And, and he said, yeah, um, it is possible. Like if there's fluid there, but he was like, I didn't see any on the ultrasound. But again, if you're just doing an ultrasound, you may not be able to see all of that you know, fluid that's built up there. Yeah. And unfortunately with like reproductive um, endocrinology and diagnosing and things like that, ultrasounds don't pick up all of the things that it really should pick up. Right. I mean, surgery is the way that a lot of are diagnosed with a lot of different um, forms of infertility, which is so interesting to me that in 2021, we still, you know, have to actually go in somebody to um, diagnose them with anything with their tubes or endometriosis or anything like that. Now with your tubes being blocked, did you have endometriosis? Was that part of your diagnosis or it was just, they were just blocked? They were just, they were just blocked. And they said there was a lot of scar tissue. They were, my tubes were actually, they said, tuck behind my uterus. And I'll, I'll rewind and share this. Like I actually was having the whole way that I knew that I was, I had infertility issues was we had been kind of trying for like a few years and I wasn't getting pregnant. I stopped my birth control pills and everything and nothing was happening. And I was thinking, you know, can I get pregnant? <laughs> you know, and, and I had started to say like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But in the back of my mind, I was wondering if I could actually have a baby, but I could not, I could have, but I didn't s- say that to people. So when they asked me about having a child, I just gave the like, whenever God wants it to happen, it'll happen, you know, or when it's meant to be, it'll be. But really I was just thinking in my mind. And so um, when, you know, going, going through that time frame, And, you know, in, in, in the waiting, I said, um, I started having like a, some pain on my left side. And so I went to my doctor and I was like, I'm having some pains on my, you know, my left side. And so they did an ultrasound and it looked like I had a, um, a, a large cyst on one of my ovaries. And so she was like, this is a pretty large cyst. And if you're having pain, I think we should go in and remove the cyst. And so I had the surgery 
to remove what we thought was a cyst. Well, when she got in there, she realized that it was not a cyst at all. It was just that my tubes, both of them were, were tucked behind my uterus. And there was a, a lot of scar tissue that had stuck them to, you know, I guess close to different one of my organs and or, organs or whatever, but whatever, wherever it was at, it was tucked behind my uterus and she was able to pull them out um, and open them and unblock them. But she said, being that, and, oh, and then when I woke up, I have to, I have to share this, you know, to, to go under and to think that you're getting a, a, um, a uh, cyst removed and then to wake up only for the doctor to say, guess what? You didn't have a cyst at all. Both your tubes were blocked and tucked behind your uterus and I was able to open them. That is when, that was the moment that I really knew I want to be a mom my my yeah. maternal instincts kicked in at that moment and up until that point i was uncertain if i would i can actually have any children and so i had accepted it in, my, in the back of my mind even though it wasn't happening i was suppressing my feelings and when she said when she identified the issue i was like wait a minute so my tubes were blocked all this time and now you were able to open them and she said, you know, we want you to get pregnant within six months because it's a chance that they will reblock because of how they were tucked. If your tubes are unblocked or are blocked and we unblock them, they will eventually go back to their previous form because they were like that for so long. So then she put me on Clomid for, um, I actually took it for either uh, six months um, and then for a few more months after that. But um, yeah, so I, I did have that surgery to unblock my tubes, even though I wasn't trying to get my tubes unblocked. I didn't even know they were blocked. Yeah. It's like that voice in your head was right two times mm -hmm. between telling you to take a pregnancy test and like that wasn't right. And I've never thought about that voice being maternal instinct, you know, even before our children exist. But I think that's a really good point. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that because they have these inklings that something's wrong rather with their fertility or an early pregnancy. And then they push mm -hmm. for blood tests or for ultrasounds and then learn that something is wrong. I also talk to women who, um, with loss, they have like a moment where they almost know when their baby died, which is so interesting to me. And I've, I didn't experience that myself, but hearing them talk about it, it's almost like their maternal instinct was something isn't right in your body anymore. Mm -hmm. Like something is off. And the few people that, um, especially like in the last week, I've heard the same type of story three times where mm -hmm. they go in and the baby was measuring at exactly the point where they had that feeling like that shift. Wow. Wow. So that's... I think that the maternal instinct, I'd never thought of it like that, but that's, I, that sounds exactly like what it is. Yeah. Because somehow I knew I was pregnant and I, I wasn't having any symptoms at all when I had the ectopic. And so it was almost like, People, you know, people, women say like, yeah, I, I know exactly. I have, I have a friend who says, I know when I got pregnant with each, each of my children. And, and I used to think like, there's no way you know that, you know, but <laughs> after my experiences, because she's had, ch you know, children a while back um, after my experiences, I realized like the woman's body is amazing, you know, like, and yeah. the connection that you have with, I mean, the child is growing off of your blood supply and your, you know, like attached to your uterus being, you know, receiving nutrients from you. And so you have this connection with the baby. And even when you read about how, you know, the babies hear your heartbeat and your voice. And so they know you even when they come out and they may not know anybody else, you know, and so that 
that's a powerful connection. And so I think you, as a woman, you're so in tune with your body that you, you can know. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Shara, I appreciate you giving me so much of your time. I could talk to you forever, so I'm not going to keep you all day, but to close out, I don't mean to put you on the spot to ask this, but if you have any advice for anybody who's going through loss, any type of loss, um, I'd love if you shared a little bit of wisdom or like a message for them or. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, going through loss is very difficult and everybody processes, you know, their, their grief in a different way. And first of all, it's perfectly okay to go through the stages in whatever order you want to go through them. It's perfectly okay um, that you don't feel the way that somebody else feels or how they think you should feel. But I would say, um, finding something to be grateful for. I think gratitude and thankfulness is so, so, so important. Um, And I always say like being sad and down and even, you know, having moments of depression um, can be a result of focusing on yesterday and the past. And when you focus on what was or what could have been, it takes you to a place that is not, it's not productive. I mean, it takes you to a place where you can't even do anything about it. Right. And then if you spend your mind, right. Thinking about the future and what if this, and what if that, and all that, that's anxiety. And again, necessarily control. And so your moments will cause you you to, you know, either be or that is me experience the anxiety, I experienced the depression and, and, and all that, and still finding a way to pull myself back into the now and say, what do I have? You know, what am I thankful for? What can I do? I know what I can't do, but what can I do? And that helped me to enjoy life and enjoy the moment. And at one point during my journey, I did um, go talk to a counselor. And so if you are struggling with a loss and you can't seem to pull yourself up, there's nothing wrong with talking to a counselor or somebody um, to sort through your emotions. You know, um, there were times where I secluded myself and I didn't want to talk to anybody. Then I realized like, wait a minute, I think I need people. And so even though you may feel like being alone, have that time alone, but then recognize when it's time to let people in. And even if it's not to talk about your loss, just to have fun, just to do something you like doing to be in the moment. And, you know, for me, I'm a person of of prayer as well. And I like to read positive things and read scriptures. And I have like mantras that I say, like, what you say to yourself is so, so, so important. And so speak the right things, be around the right people, and find some counteracting thoughts that, um, shape the narrative in your mind in a way that helps you to move forward and then be grateful. 